Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The views given on the following program are not necessarily the views of this station management or staff. Since individual situations can and will be different, please remember this when exercising any options presented by our guests. Success is equated with excess. The ambition for excess wrecks us. As the top of the mind becomes a bottom line. Success is equated this is Care for My Wealth with Chris Klein of Capstone Wealth Management, your fee-only investment firm. Now, here's your Care for My Wealth guy, Chris Klein. This is Care for My Wealth right here, Fox Sports 1070 The Game, joined this morning by Chris Klein. Of course, Chris comes to us from Capstone Wealth Management, the website, careformywealth.com. That's careformywealth.com. All one word, great website and resource to learn more about Chris and the team, the Go Anywhere strategy at Capstone Wealth Management. Again, all at the website, careformywealth.com. Speaking of Care for My Wealth, Twitter, at Care for My Wealth. You can follow Chris there. You can also give him a call, 866 866- Five nine six ninety eight eighty six. That's eight six six five nine six ninety eight eighty six. Morning, Chris. How you doing this week? I'm good. I'm good. Outside of uh, every imaginable conflicting technical and and fundamental data point that I've ever seen. How's that? <laughs> well, <laughs> kind of makes you feel like a dog named Stay. Right? Yeah. Come here, Stay. Stay. Come here. Stay. Which which. Which way are you going? Oh, so, so yeah, that's my day. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> well, that'll as always, we'll have an interesting show then for sure. And let's start off. I know one of the things that um, obviously been everyone's been pe- keeping a close eye on is inflation and, and some more data and more information on that front, isn't there? Yeah, there is actually. And so a few things that I think is easy to miss from, you know, the the inflation data that came out this past week. Of course, everybody is staring at CPI and yes, it decelerated, which, you know, is kind of what we've been talking about um, really for quite some time now. And when we say deceleration, that just means that what they do is they look at it on a year over year basis and they look at it on a sequential basis. Sequential would typically be either quarter over quarter or, uh, or or month over month. <clears throat> and so that just means they're comparing the previous month or they're comparing the previous quarter against what this current reading is. And then, of course, when you look at it year over year, they're comparing the year over year or the, the, the previous June of 22 in this case. And, you know, everybody's looking at it and saying, oh, man, it was, it was, it was fantastic. I mean, core... CPI dropped. That's great. And and year over year CPI was down to three percent from three point one. And man, that's awesome. And and I get it. It makes everybody absolutely believe that the Federal Reserve will be done 
with their rate tightening campaign and 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 everybody then starts to just push things forward and say, well, if they're done with their tightening campaign, certainly their next move has to be something along the lines of a rate cutting campaign. And then it comes right back to that whole stimulus thing that markets have been literally drunk on for the past 20 years. And that's too bad because it it creates a dysfunctional environment where you have massive booms and massive busts and things often in the midst of that create cycles that uh, sometimes just go against the the more traditional ways in, in which you can analyze both technical and fundamental movements within markets. And so when I look at this, I look at it from a little bit different. So when they calculate CPI, of course, they're taking into consideration the 19 components that build the basket of CPI. Oil is a very large component of that, as is shelter, rent costs, right? Owner equivalent rent, they call it. <clears throat> and gosh, a couple of years ago now, I think, maybe a year and a half, we did almost a whole show on owner's equivalent rent so that people could come to understand that. So you know, in that respect, go back to the archives and pick up that show and and hopefully it'll help you get shed some light on on what we were were trying to focus on at that time. But I think one of the most important things that's happening in the midst of where we are within this current inflation move and how the Federal Reserve will will treat it is the fact that the June 2022 print, which by the way was 9.1%. So you think of that for a moment. This print was 3%. Just a year ago, 9.1, and everybody's hallelujah, inflation's decelerating. Yeah, well, sort of. I guess it depends on what you're looking at just in terms of, of, of cost factors. And I'll talk about that again in a moment. But the June 2022 print of 9% on the CPI falls out of the comp calculation. In other words, if that falls out of the comp calculation, what does that do? Well, it makes decelerations a little bit harder to come by because now you're not decelerating from that 9% epic all-time, well, at least all-time for many people, high CPI print, right? Mm -hmm. If that's gone, now all of a sudden the math gets a little bit harder to try and create a deceleration in the overall CPI print. In fact, I was talking to my head trader the other day and I said, I could make an argument that we actually have seen the bottom of CPI or the bottom of inflation. And wait, what? Like, well, think about it for a minute. Look at what's taken place in some of the commodities, mostly because of what's happened to the US dollar, right? I mean, when the US dollar goes down, everything that's priced in US dollars goes up. So you start taking a look at some of the commodities over the past, you know, month or so, and you got things like soybeans that just, you know, really since the beginning of June uh, are up like 17%. And, you know, last time I checked, soybeans are in a lot of things that are sold in terms of foodstuffs, at least in the, you know, American culture today. <clears throat> so there's, that's going on. You've got cattle futures that are much, much higher. Uh, hog futures, much, much higher. <laughs> you know, so all these things that are priced in dollars, because what we've seen over the last, you know, roughly six to seven trading days is a U.S. dollar that has dropped almost straight down. And, and and when I say straight down, I mean, I'm talking like a 4% drop in six or seven trading days. Now for a currency, that's a lot. Most people are accustomed to seeing those kinds of movements in individual stocks and markets and going, yeah, who cares? That's not the way currency markets function. Currency markets 
are not supposed to move at that speed in most cases. I mean, you know, let's face it, the U.S. dollar is supposed to be one of the most stable things ever. And so when you see those kinds of moves, what we often forget is the other side of that equation are the currency pairs on a global stage. Currencies like the yen, the Swiss franc, right? Mm. Uh, the Canadian dollar, the yen. The Swiss franc and the yen are incredibly valuable uh, currencies on the global stage when it comes to trades that uh, that take place at some of the biggest institutions on the planet who you know whip around a lot of money you know I'm, I mean I'm talking trillions and you know over the past six days if you look at what's happened to both the yen uh, and the Swiss franc they're up both about as much as the U.S. dollar having dropped and and that's what you end up getting when the U.S. currency drops like that. I don't know what or how that ultimately will affect things, but I can tell you from experience that in most cases, when you see a currency move that fast in that short of a span of time, mm -hmm. something is breaking. Trades somewhere are blowing something up. And the one thing I can tell you is that in the currency markets, a lot of leverage gets used. So when you build a lot of leverage into a trade and something goes in that much of a directional move that fast, it just tends to create a tremendous amount of problems somewhere. Now, how long before that manifests itself in something that we can see? I have no idea. So there's my favorite answer again. Mm -hmm. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I tend to find myself saying that uh, more than maybe I would like to. <laughs> but you know, at the end of the day, those kinds of things we know can have some some pretty dramatic effects mm -hmm. on, on on how markets in general uh, function. And so, you know, you take a look at that and you say, okay, I know that inflation for the most part is not dead. I mean, you know, as I mentioned, soybeans, the entire decline that took place, uh, you know, roughly over the past several months, it is essentially gone. I mean, soybeans are now trading at uh, soybeans now, just to give you an idea, soybeans are trading at a level higher than pre-pandemic levels. Oh, now a lot of people don't think that that could be the case, considering all the news is constantly focused on this deceleration of CPI. Yeah, I get it, I get it. But you know, again, taking your eyes off of some of the specificity of what's going on inside is uh, is a big deal. Um, in it, I, I mentioned the uh, the movement in. Um, in, in some of these uh, cattle futures and, and things like that. Let me just give you a, you know, just a quick glimpse into this. So cattle futures are 20% higher year over year, right? Mm -hmm. Soybeans, as I mentioned, they're up about 20% since late May. Lean hog futures bottomed in late May. They're up about 20% since that. Wheat futures, those bottomed in late May, they're up about 9%. The food at home. Now, the last time I checked, a component within inside the CPI data that's pretty important is the money that people spend on food, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, pretty important. So food at home is up 19.7% since June of 2020. But yet, everybody on Wall Street got excited about a deceleration of 0.05% in groceries. Wow. Now, look. I, I don't get really excited and I certainly don't cheer, you know, a 0.05% a, a reduction in grocery costs 
and and people shouldn't either. But this is what happens when they don't understand the base effects, mm-hmm. when they don't understand two year comps because it's taking into consideration some really odd, crazy, weird stuff that took place in the midst of that whole pandemic thing. Right. Yeah. You've got to look at this in a much, much different perspective. One of the other points that I made uh, a little bit earlier about the importance of CPI components is rents, right? Yes. Well, let's think about that for just a little bit longer and and why we think that rates are going to be higher for longer and why it's highly possible we could have seen a bottom in the CPI data for the June print. Apartments in New York City, Hoboken, Chicago, and Miami are all, not few, all hitting all-time highs. Energy commodities surging off the May lows. Take a look at West Texas Intermediate crude for a minute. You know, so we calculate things on a on a much different way than maybe what the the average uh, average uh, firm might do. We look at everything on not just a price level, but we combine with that volatility and we combine with that time. And and so we're constantly looking, and also of course the volume of whatever that thing is that's trading. So. So really simply, price volume volatility is a very, very big component on how something trades. And when we do that, we then apply it to a time series. And that time series are in in differing categories based on immediate term, which is like three weeks or less, intermediate term, which is a trend of three months or more. And then, of course, a longer term transactional cycle or a trend cycle, which would be like three years or less, right? So the first thing to move a thing is if it breaks into a bullish trade. So a three-week or less price volume volatility calculation breaking above a certain elemental level when you calculate it over that three-week or less period is the first thing that happens before it moves higher into then a bullish trending thing. Well, since inflation or commodities, as we have said before, peaked in June of 2022, oil has gotten completely lamblasted. It's gotten blown up, but its character looks to be potentially changing. Why? Because it just moved into bullish trade. Now, it's short-term overbought, which just simply means it wouldn't surprise me a bit to see West Texas Intermediate Crude go from roughly 76, 77 bucks a barrel you know, maybe somewhere down into the 6970 range. Now, why is that important? Because the United States has said again and again and again that they will attempt to refill the Strategic Petroleum Reserve somewhere around those kinds of levels. And every single time oil has gotten down to that level, it's spiked up. Now, you can call it a coincidence. You can call it a behind-the-scenes proxy war. You can call it being taken to the woodshed by people that are running other countries smarter than the people running this country. I don't care what you call it. I call it a potential problem for CPI because oil is a big component of CPI. And if, in fact, the trade levels on West Texas Intermediate Crude hold, we could very easily see the cost of oil escalate from here at a much, much more rapid rate. Now, how's that going to affect the consumer, especially when you take into consideration food up 20% since June of 2020? Hmm. Something to think about, right? Do I think that that's going to happen? I have no idea. But right now, the math tells me that there's a high and rising probability that over the next six to 12 months, we could see that. So I want to be mindful of that. I want to be respectful of that. I want to look at that, at least with some interest and say, 
all right, well, I might not necessarily be uh, looking at each of those components for making a choice of what I choose to invest in for, for my family and our clients, but it absolutely is something I'm paying attention to, no different than I'm paying attention to a 4% drop in the US dollar inside of six trading days. That is the sort of thing that creates an environment where something big somewhere blows up. And it just takes a little bit of time for the proverbial bodies to kind of rise to the to the surface on that. So yeah, that's fine. Get excited about CPI decelerating. Uh, get excited about, you know, the the five tenths of a percent uh, or five one hundredths of a percent drop, excuse me, in grocery mm -hmm. costs. That's awesome. Uh, even though it's not really affecting anybody in terms of how they're spending money, right? Yes. But what is this? It is the clear definition of that that economic quadrant that we talk about all the time in terms of an economic quadrant with decelerating growth and inflation at the same time. That is the, 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 the classic definition of quad four. And everybody thinks that inflation decelerating is awesome for companies. Well, I, I got to tell you that in terms of earnings pricing, it's not. So the market's over its skis right now. We know that. Is it going to wind up in a 2008 or a 2001 type Crash, hard to say. It, it obviously, in many cases, for many people, certainly doesn't look that way right now, given how markets have moved since the beginning of the year. But I still believe that before this bear market's over, and the bear market in the S&P and the Russell 2000 is not over. And if we, can, if we end up in a high and rising inflationary environment, are we to think that the Federal Reserve is just going to stop their tightening monetary policy structure? Nope. I don't know how we could. And so if we don't think that they're going to stop their tightening monetary policy structure, at least over the next one, maybe two meetings. Now, we've got a meeting coming up in, uh, in, in, in July, but then we don't have one until September. The Fed doesn't like to do stuff intra-meeting unless it's an emergency. Okay. Is it a possibility that from somewhere that the, the next meeting to the September meeting, something happens where some of those bodies start to flow to the top of the surface? Maybe. Mm -hmm. It certainly has historical context that that's happened before. I don't want that to happen. But what I'm trying to help everybody understand is that markets are odd right now. They are not being driven by fundamental and technical realities. I mean, I could list for you just the multitude of negative <laughs> fundamental and technical items that make me stand back and look at the market kind of like a dog looking at something, you know, I cock my head at my screens going, oh my word, that's odd. Look at that. So, you know, we, we still have this, this, uh, you know, this, this pretty serious problem with, uh, with, you know, with CPI. And if everybody forgets everything that I've ever just said, just remember that the June, 2022 comp of 9.1% now falls out of the calculation. And when you do that, it creates an environment where those year over year comps deteriorate and it makes it harder for the math of how they build the CPI to create an environment where you see CPI decelerating harder. There's one other thing I'll throw out there real quick before we take a break. Mm -hmm. And this is a function of groceries, right? So because it's something that we all use, everybody uses this. And, and, and if you think about how things have happened in terms of the movement of inflation, one of the things that doesn't get calculated into CPI in terms of food cost the way that the Fed calculates it anyway, is the cost of energy. I mean, let's face it, they got to get the stuff to you in the stores. 
They've got to do things to get stuff out of the fields or stuff to process the beef and the, 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 the pork and all the things that go on. Well, if we look at how things have moved from just May 31st of this year to today, basically, soybean oil is up 31%. Now, soybean oil is in a lot of stuff. Just look at the things that you're buying these days. Soybeans, as I mentioned, those are up about 20% over that same time. Lean hogs up about 20%. Natural gas up 12.3% from May 31st of this year till now. Natural gas is used in an awful lot of stuff on farm things, especially when it comes to harvest. And they use gas to uh, to dry some of the uh, some some of the uh, uh, products that they use or the, the some of the uh, uh, crops. <laughs> Gasoline's up eleven point six percent. West Texas Intermediate Crude, as I mentioned earlier, up about eleven percent. Rice up eleven. Wheat up seven point four. Live cattle up seven in that environment. Diesel. Last time I checked, diesel fuels used pretty much everywhere on a farm or on a production capacity, up 4.7%. Cotton, up 4.3%. Hey, you want to know the silver lining in all of that? What's that? Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No coffee is down 10%. And I'm excited about that because I love coffee. <laughs> <laughs> Always looking on the bright side. Chris Klein of Capstone Wealth Management. Of course, this is Care for My Wealth right here on Fox Sports 1070 The Game. You can learn more about Chris and the team on the website careformywealth.com. That's careformywealth.com. A lot of information each and every week on this program. Don't forget, if you miss part of the show or you want to listen back, or more importantly, share the information with your friends and family, check it out online, whether at Care for My Wealth Com, also available or the radio station's website, also available on iHeartRadio, Spotify, iTunes. You can listen to the podcast there or simply ask your smart speaker to play the program. Uh, talking about the dollar and what's been going on with U.S. currency. What about the talk of de-dollarization? It's in the air. We'll get the details from Chris on that next as Care for My Wealth continues right here on Fox Sports 1070, The Game. This is Care for My Wealth right here on Fox Sports 1070 The Game, hanging out this Saturday morning as we do each and every Saturday morning with Chris Klein of Capstone Wealth Management. You can learn more about Chris and the team all at the website, careformywealth.com. That's careformywealth.com. The telephone number, 866-596-9886. That's 866-596-9886. You can also email Chris info at careformywealth.com. That's I-N-F-O at careformywealth.com. And Chris, before the program, you were telling me about a new global currency that is maybe attempting to shake the dollar's dominance or um, a new attempt. What is what is this new currency and, and what's kind of the what's the story behind it? Yeah, all of our favorite friends, the BRICS, right? Not Brits, but BRICS, which would be Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa. Mm. <laughs> so. So and many people may have heard that uh, that that this is something that's been floating around the, the news cycle uh, at least a little bit. 
Um, but I think it's something that people should be talking much more about. And it's a combination actually of this new uh, floated idea of a, of a BRICS trading currency, as well as the amount of interest payments or repayments, I should say, that are going on just on U.S. debt, right? Mm -hmm. So, and, and a lot of this is going to depend on on how it all ultimately shakes out, but it's it's actively being discussed at fairly high level meetings with the current leadership of those countries that I just mentioned. But depending on how this BRICS currency is structured, um, I think it's going to have a varying degree of bad to epically bad on the U.S. dollar. We have to remember China doesn't like us a lot. No. And, and if you think that they do, you're not you're not thinking about it right, right? Some people would suggest that uh, that 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 we're not in the midst of a war, and and I would suggest that you're wrong, respectfully. I think that we are absolutely right in the middle of a war. It's just not firing bullets at Chinese or or vice versa. It's an economic war. Mm. China knows darn well that the United States is in the midst of a problematic inflation cycle. And they know that most, if not uh, a large proportion of our uh, economy uh, is hurting many people just in terms of some of the epic costs that we talked about in the last segment. And China, however, is in a position where they are very probably going to start generating some stimulus. Well, what's that mean? Well, it means that they just start pumping their economy. Well, if they do that, well, then, of course, that just, of course, helps to uh, underpin the movement of inflation on some of that stuff. But the question in, in mind here with regards to this BRICS trading currency is whether or not it will actually be backed by gold, which is what they've said. They've said, hey, we're going to back this currency by gold. Of course, that got everybody in you know, the gold bug community, uber excited. Oh, sure. And it did us too. I mean, you know, like our third largest position is gold. So mm -hmm. I'm always excited when I see it go up, but I'm not owning that for us or our clients uh, because of anything that may or may not be going on with the potentiality of a BRICS-backed currency. I'm owning that simply because the cycle that we're in with both growth and inflation decelerating currently suggests that that is the right thing to own. And the next cycle, which is moving towards a more probabilistic outcome of stagflation, gold does even better, right? Mm. So that's why we own gold. And that's why I'm going to increase our gold position on pullbacks that happen in it. But it, if in fact, the BRICS tradable currency that they're talking about is, is going to be backed by gold, the question also becomes, well, okay, is that note redeemable for physical gold? We don't know. They haven't talked about it. Will all the trades that take place between these BRICS countries require that currency or or just certain commodities? I mean, all of these kinds of questions just drive how dramatic of an effect this, this would have on the dollar, right? One of the reasons we're able to have so much debt is because of the dollar's reserve currency status. Now, we talked about this about four, maybe five shows ago. I don't remember. Sometimes it's hard for me to remember <laughs> what happened yesterday, much less shows five weeks ago. But look at our, our archives again, because I think it would be super valuable for you to understand why, as the world's reserve currency, is actually beneficial for our debt structure. And, and that is simply because all of the countries that we are in the midst of global trade with 
all of whom must use U.S. dollars to repay this debt. When they do a transaction for a commodity and they get U.S. dollars, they got to put those U.S. dollars somewhere that's stable and liquid. And the best place on the planet for that has, in fact, been U.S. treasuries. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the reasons why we're able to have so much debt without it just completely imploding everything and everyone. But if suddenly the BRICS, again, which combines, at, if you take a look at, at Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa, and you combine those, it's the largest GDP in the world. Now, let that sink in for just a minute. And of course, lots of these countries are doing their darn best to try and unseat the U.S. dollar from this scenario. So you got a scenario where if suddenly these BRICS, again, combining to be the largest GDP in the world, suddenly does all of their trade in this new currency, the reality is that demand for dollars would go down and go down hard, right? How much? I have no idea because it's really, really hard to fully calculate what that effect might ultimately be. But what it would be is super ultra inflationary for Americans. Why? Well, because if dollar demand drops dramatically, you get more of what we just saw over the last six to seven days. But instead of a 4% drop in the US dollar, it's dramatically, dramatically deeper. And something that I could point towards would be the Japanese yen 30% drop over three years as a similar result. I mean, could we expect something like that if all trade within those five countries was converted to that new currency? Maybe. I mean, the math would certainly support it. That could be obviously an extreme scenario. I don't like hyperbole. You know that. I like to try and keep things real. But at the same time, whenever you're considering risk, you have to take into consideration outliers or what we would call tail risk, right? Mm -hmm. So it might be an extreme scenario because it's probably not going to be all traded in that particular new currency. But we, we do have to realize that, you know, while the dollar has the most to lose from all of this, all currencies everywhere would be impacted, including the currencies of those host BRICS countries. Because as of right now, they all have their own currency, right? Mm -hmm. So what's more likely to be the cause of, of some trade, when you think about how these nations might work with one another in the aspect of a new currency, it, it, it would be to utilize this new currency. And, and if you think about that deeper, it's still a bearish outcome for America, as any declining demand for dollar is absolutely inflationary. And that's how I want you to think of it. A drop in the dollar of value is inflationary. The Federal Reserve comes into this by the fact that depending on how dramatic the, the dollar demand drain is, it probably would impact some of their decision making. How much? Hard to say. Fed's kind of an odd group, right? But what we do know is they tend to be late and they tend to be lagging. If we now subsidize, say, roughly 10% uh, of, of our debt, then the rising payments on our debt is coming at a really bad time. The Fed would either have to cut rates or turn the money printer back on. Both of those, of course, are inflationary. Yep. You can see where I'm going with this, right? Inflation is one of these things, and I've said this again and again and again and again over the past five years, because everybody's attempt over that length of time was to, in fact, get some inflation moving, right? Mm -hmm. You get inflation genie out of the bottle, it's really hard to put her back in.
And this is what I meant by that. Now, did I know that you'd have a tradable currency being talked about amongst the five larger nations in the world? No. Did we know that uh, that Japan could be potentially breaking up into new uh, all-time highs on their, their stock market? No. But the conditions that exist inside of an economic cycle, like what we've seen and experienced since November, December, starting of 2021, are these kinds of oddities that start to open up. You can see Washington, the the, the political uh, culture, if you will, mm -hmm. they stumbled really, really bad with their decision to try and weaponize the dollar against Russians. It, it, all it really did was accelerate those events that we're seeing right now, right? Mm -hmm. But yet they did it. And, you know, details of how impactful a new currency like this uh, will ultimately be, I guess we're going to find out next month in August. So I look at some of the things that are being done and said out there and, and, and by some of these public officials, you know, Janet Yellen being one. And I say to myself, she should stop talking because most of the stuff that she's saying is kind of laughable. You know, any decline in dollar demand is going to lead to infl inflationary pressures here at home. And the range of those outcomes go from like empire decline to kind of mild deflation or inflationary rather. And everything that you can imagine in between is a possibility. Think about what I just said, empire decline and mildly inflationary. Anything in between is possible. To think for a moment that where we stand right now in this economic cycle, that inflation is gone, is laughable. And to think that because of all of these kinds of things starting to percolate underneath the surface of global and geopolitical tensions, doesn't manifest or result itself in slower growth is laughable. But that's what we're getting. That's what we're being told. And yet, what do we have? Well, just this morning, or excuse me, yesterday morning, when I sent out my uh, my morning missive, I talked about earnings. Mm -hmm. And granted, it, it's super early in the, in, in, the, in the earnings reporting cycle, right? We, we know that. I mean, there's only 22 companies in the S&P 500 that had announced their earnings, but the reporting was down 7% year over year in terms of earnings, quote, growth. The NASDAQ, super, super early, right? We've only got 7% of the NASDAQ 100 that have reported, but they've reported earnings down 43% on a year over year basis. JP Morgan, the largest bank on the planet reported yesterday and everybody got excited. Why? Because they beat estimates. Oh, hallelujah. Good for them. Dig into the report a little bit deeper and you'll find some really interesting things. Their year-over-year -year deposits are down 6%. Now, think about that for just a second. We had bank blow-ups this year and the majority of the deposits that flew from those banks, where did they go? They went to the big banks, yep. JP Morgan being one of the largest beneficiaries of that deposit flow. And yet their flows over the last year are still down 6%. Well, what does that mean for small to mid-sized banks? I have no idea. But goodness gracious, if the government's doing everything that they can to try and force deposits into the biggest of the big banks, and yet JP Morgan comes out and says that their deposits declined, to me, that stands out, right? Yeah. Did the I... other thing that's... Well, uh, let me throw one more thing in real yeah. quick. The other thing that stood out in their earnings report was the fact that they set aside $2.9 billion for future loan losses. Now, how is that healthy? Ooh. 
they're obviously taking into consideration that the consumer is not as healthy as people think if they're considering $2.9 billion of bad loans that they've got to cover for. Banks always set aside funds for loan losses, but $2.9 billion, that's not, that's not chump change. Sorry, I interrupted you there. You were literally, you literally said exactly what I was going to ask you about. I saw in your morning email, you had mentioned those charge-offs. I was going to ask you about that. And uh, that, as you, I think you pointed out in the email, like you kind of buried in all of that information. A lot of folks may not have taken notice, but that is, that is an important part of all of this, isn't it? It is, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, um, you know, financials are really important to the global health uh, and the domestic health of mm -hmm. economies. And, you know, if if you start to see a scenario where many of these bigger lending institutions uh, are finding themselves in a situation where they're getting squeezed and, hey, you know, let's face it, we've got an inverted yield curve and we have had one for some time. The inversion in it right now last seen at these levels in the early 80s. <laughs> That's a long time, right? So how is that affecting banks? Well, think about it. They're supposed to be paying interest uh, based on, for the most part, the short end of the yield curve. And that's super high. Two-year treasury yesterday was trading all the way around, uh, at, at least towards into the close of, uh, of the day yesterday. The two-year treasury was about 4.755%, whereas the 10-year treasury is 38 oh. So what does that mean? Well, it means things are upside down. Banks lend out money at the long end and they pay out on the short end. Uh, that doesn't work. So everybody always asks, well, why are banks not paying us better interest? Well, that's why. They don't have the capacity to pay you at that rate. <clears throat> and so there is why you see a fairly large amount of, of outflows of capital uh, from Lend, uh, from banks and lending institutions headed towards things like money market funds or short-term treasuries is because people are sick and tired of not getting a better return on their cash. And I can't blame them. Yeah. I, that's exactly what they should be doing is, is moving <laughs> to something that gives them some, uh, some better interest on, uh, on, on their, uh, on their money. Talking this morning with Chris Klein of Capstone Wealth Management, the website careformywealth.com. That's careformywealth.com. Check it out online. Most important thing to do this morning, got a question, you want to talk with Chris, start that conversation. All you got to do is give him a call, 866-596-9886. That's 866-596-9886. And Chris, got about two minutes left in the show today. And just a quick uh, quick refresher for folks uh, new to the program um, and also a refresher for those who've been listening for a while. Let's talk a little bit about Capstone Wealth Management and what makes you guys so unique and what you guys do for, for the folks you work with. Yeah, good question. Uh, what makes us unique? Well, we're, we're fee only. Uh, we don't charge commissions for anything that we do. There's no access to grind. Uh, when we manage funds, it's just simply a function of picking and choosing what we believe to be the best opportunities to be able to help uh, not just protect your portfolios, but grow them over time. Hmm. And, you know, risk management is a very important element of the kinds of management processes that we put into what we do. We're not stuck in any one market, right? We don't just send the money off to some obscure hedge fund or some obscure mutual fund where you don't know what's going on inside or why you own what you own. You want to know why you own what you own? I'll tell you, because yeah. I'm the guy making the choices on it. <laughs> And everything that we do, we're doing with the capacity and function of attempting to minimize risk, minimize volatility, and in the long run, 
generate returns that are reasonable. And by minimizing that risk, it's just a function of trying to help minimize the stresses that so many people have had to go through over the past 20 years by dealing in nothing but U.S. equities. Uh, I don't care where we invest as long as it's consistent with the cycle that we're in. And as long as that cycle suggests that that thing that we want to invest in is a good choice, gold, silver, platinum, healthcare, utilities, staples, tech, uh, Japan, India, South Korea, don't <laughs> care. It's just a ticker, right? Yes. <laughs> what, we, what we do care about is its effect on how portfolios function. So, you know, we, we work very hard to try and communicate with clients. Every single day, I send out an email that tells you what's on the top of my mind on what kinds of things we're seeing in markets and why they're potentially problematic or why they're potentially awesome. And, uh, and in doing that, it just helps many people who are clients of ours, but maybe still be working and have a 401k or something like that to get a glimpse into how they should consider working with that particular uh, particular asset base. And at the same time, not get sucked into stuff at the wrong place at the wrong time. That, that's, that is one of the worst things that happened to people, not just in the 2000 to 2002 bear market, but also at the same time in the 2008 bear market. Every time the market dropped, people bought the dip and it kept dipping and dipping and dipping and dipping. Mm. And every single time people bought more to ride that down. And that's why their bases got so jacked up. That's why people lost so much money at that time is they just didn't have a process to help them understand what does the cycle look like and when does it end? And so we're still looking for that ending cycle. And unfortunately, it usually happens in a spike in unemployment. And we haven't seen that yet. So kind of a waiting game. It's interesting, too, as we talk each and every week with Chris and getting his insight. And, of course, as he talks about working in your best interest, being more nimble when it comes to risk management and, of course, fee only. He is here to work for you. He'd love to get to know you, Chris, and the team at Capstone Wealth Management. All I got to do this morning is pick up the phone and give him a call. The telephone number, 866-596-9886. That's 866 866- 596-9886. Mentioned, of course, we're live on the radio, but we're also available on all your favorite podcast platforms, whether it's Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio. You can also listen back to the show at careformywealth.com. That's careformywealth.com. And again, the telephone number. Today's the day to pick up the phone, give Chris a call. 866-596-9886. That's 866-596-9886. Chris, you enjoy this most beautiful day, and we'll talk real soon, my friend. All right. Take care, buddy. Bye-bye. This, this is Care For My Wealth here on Fox Sports 1070, The Game.